talked last week, and I was really uh, focused in on us remembering what God has done in our lives, but um, and and what God has meant to us as we went through Joshua three and four. But a lot of people want to they want to put a sign out and say, "Hey, we're going to have a revival." And so you normally have a uh, a special speaker come and. And you'll bring in some other musicians, and you'll do all this stuff. And, and I was having a long discussion with some people over the last two weeks about what does it really mean to have revival. And oftentimes we kind of confuse revival and evangelism because we will, we will say, well, if the church would have revival, then there's a lot of people that would get saved. Well, that's not revival. That's, revival is taking those things that once had something, those things that, that once had life, that once had power, that once had light, that once had you know, activity, and they no longer have that. And so you have to revive it. When, when the EMS shows up, and, and they, what's one of the first things they check for? They'll start hitting a hand or you know, checking a neck. They're looking for, do you have a pulse? Because if not, they're going to figure out, can we revive him? And I was thinking this week, I thought, you know, I wonder what God finds sometimes when he puts his finger on where there should be a pulse of a church. I wonder what he finds, though, when he moves inside and goes to us as individuals spiritually and says, all right, I'm going to put my finger on where there should be a pulse. What does he find? Does he, does he find it beating strong? Does he find it... Just a solid pushing life through us, or does he find it kind of doing the <laughs> That was when you decided to come to two services on Sunday. <laughs> you got you got a double thump. So I want us to take a look at Isaiah chapter six. A familiar passage for folks that have been in church. And we're going to look at the DNA of revival. What does it mean for us to be revived? Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Here's verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. 
Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Amen. I want to share a couple of quotes about revival with you. It's from Andrew Murray. He said, There is need of a great revival of spiritual life, of truly fervent devotion to our Lord Jesus, of entire consecration to his service. It is only in a church in which this spirit of revival has at least begun that there is any hope of radical change in the relation of the majority of our Christian people to mission work. Mm. Share a second quote from Andrew. He says, The coming revival must begin with a great revival of prayer. It is in the closet with the door shut that the sound of abundance of rain will first be heard. An increase of secret prayer with ministers will be the sure harbinger of blessing. J.I. Packer, who wrote many books about prayer and holiness, said, Christians in revival are accordingly found living in God's presence, in quorum Dio, attending to his word, feeling acute concern about sin and righteousness, rejoicing in the assurance of Christ's love and their own salvation, and spontaneously constant in worship, and tirelessly active in witness and service, fueling these activities by praise and prayer. Man, I could preach his quote. I mean, when you just go through, he says that they are living in God's presence, they're attending to the Word, they feel, they, they, they feel acute concern, intense concern about both sin and righteousness. There's a lot of people right now that are very concerned about sin. They're very concerned about what all's going on in the world. But we need to be just as concerned about righteousness within the church. Because if the church is a place of righteousness, it'll affect the sin that's in the world. I can't preach that this morning. They're also rejoicing in the assurance of his love and their own salvation. Remember, David once prayed, he said, God, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Like sometimes when our joy gets gone, we need God to remind us that we're saved. The joy of our salvation. He didn't say even the joy of your presence. He didn't even say the joy of being in church. He didn't say the joy of having a good service. He said the joy that I've been saved, the joy that my destination for eternity has been changed. Even though I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I'm experiencing all this stuff, I'm going to find joy in the fact that I've been saved. Another quote from him says, Revival is the visitation of God which brings to life Christians who have been sleeping. Stop for a moment. There was a, a guy preaching. We don't have a balcony, and Caleb's too old for this, but there, there was a guy preaching, and there was a balcony in the back, and his son was up in the balcony. He was nine years old. And then all of a sudden, the dad realized while he's preaching, his son has a big old straw, and he is shooting spitballs at people <laughs> down on the floor. And, and like, like all of us do, you know, if, we're, if you're ever up and, and you're speaking and your kids are doing something, you try to get them with the eye first, you know. You try to get the look going. Now, actually, this morning, we, we got people here that, that know and saw me when I was little in church. So they know a lot of times my dad, my dad wasn't waiting and giving me the look. 
It was just, Nathan, you need to get up and go sit with your mother. <laughs> Brother, that meant for the whole rest of the service, spiritually, it was ruined for me. I'm just telling you, because I knew I'm getting a spanking when we go home. It's going to happen. It, it, there's not any question. This guy, he's preaching, and he sees his son up there, and he's thinking, my goodness, my goodness. And he starts trying to put the eye on his son. He probably got that twitch that I get, mine ever, you know. He's trying to put the eye on him. And about that time, his son sees that he's looking at him. He sees the connection. And he starts to, he, he starts to make the motion and speak. And his son yells out, Dad, you just keep on preaching and I'll keep them awake for you. <laughs> Revival is the visitation of God which bring to life Christians who have been sleeping. We're not worried about you sleeping in church. We're worried about are you sleeping when you're at work? Are you sleeping when you're at home? Are you sleeping when you're out at the store? Are you sleeping when you're at the ball game? Are you sleeping? I, I saw a cartoon thing somebody posted the other day, and it was two little kids walking off the ball field. And they said, hey, it's not about whether you win or lose. It's whether your parents act a fool. <laughs> right? I mean, you see, you see these newspaper articles and stuff. You know, parents get in fight with umpires at Little League game. Six-year-olds surrounding the event. Hey, it's where are you, are you sleeping? Are you spiritually sleeping? Are you sleeping in your witness? Are you sleeping in your time in prayer? Are you sleeping in your time in the Word? Are you sleeping in that you're just... Some people, I think, are just sleepwalking. They're going through life. They're going through the motions. They're, they're taking the steps, but they don't really remember what's happened. They can't tell you what they did to witness to anybody yesterday. They can't tell you what they did to reach anybody because it's, it's all about that they're sleeping. And he says, And you restore a deep sense of God's near presence and holiness. Thence springs a vivid sense of sin and a profound exercise of heart in repentance and love with an evangelistic outflow that one of the results of revival is that out of it springs a sense of sin, out of it springs a profound exercise of the heart in repentance, in praise and love. And what's the last result? An evangelistic outflow. So what makes up the DNA of revival in God's people. So let's think about what we saw in Isaiah 6. The first thing that we saw was Isaiah had an experience with God. I'm going to be honest with you guys. If uh, you, you should be having all kind of experience with God in your personal time. Okay? Um, your time in prayer, your time in the Word, your time in personal worship. And so, you know, a lot of folks say, hey, Man, cut you on some music. I don't care. Whatever kind it is you like. Doesn't matter if you like Southern Gospel. Doesn't matter if you like praise and worship music. I don't care what it is. Find what you like. Whatever helps you in worshiping God. Find some time. I don't care if you can sing a lick. You might not could carry a tune in a bucket. Not if we can put a lid on it. <laughs> but, but it's okay. It's your personal worship time. You know, find some time, not just, not just here in church. I don't care if you're riding down the road. I don't care where you're going, what you're doing. Find ways that you can 
enter into a time of worship before God and have an experience with God. But you're not just going to find it in music. I love when Matt Redman wrote the song where they sing. He says, uh, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. It's all about You know what that song was about? You know why he wrote that? Here he was, this, this fantastic, he's this fantastic musician, songwriter, all this stuff. And he realized their church was becoming too focused on that it took music in order to generate worship out of them. And they went through a time period where they decided as a church they wouldn't do any music when they came to church. <laughs> He's, and, and so when you think through the words of the song, he talks about, I'll bring you more than a song. Because a song in itself is not what you have desired. You search much deeper within. He ends up on that chorus and says, so I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it because it's all about you. When we get to a place where we will see the Lord like Isaiah did, I don't know, know that you're going to have, have some vision and all this stuff and you're going to see the Lord. And, but where we can get in a, in a place of worship, in a place where we're reading God's Word and we see Him, where we can see, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because your rod and your staff, they comfort me, that we can begin to see that. I can see God coming alongside me. And then when I have to, my mind just starts racing over into other scriptures when I think about that. Well, okay, I'm going through the valley, but is God always going to be there? And he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, but I'll be with you even till the end. I'm going to be the one that sticks closer than a brother. She goes, man, this valley seems long, but you can have an experience with God in the middle of it because he's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. You say, but I feel like it. I understand. Maybe I don't understand your particular situation because maybe I haven't experienced it. But yes, I know what it's like. Other people in this church know what it's like to stop and to question and go, God, I feel like I'm alone. God, I feel like... But I promise in the middle of that you can have an experience with God. When you're determined that your word says you're not going to leave me. Your word says you're not going to forsake me. Your word says you're going to stand there beside me. So I am going to get my eyes open. Open the eyes of my heart. Lord, y'all know man, music's just going to flow out of me. I want to see you. Why would you even sing? So we just sing those songs, don't we? Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to say, why? Why? Why did somebody write a song? Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. Why? Because they were struggling to see. They were struggling to see. They said, God, help me. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you high and lifted up. Isaiah had an experience with God. It was not a trivial thing because that it said that he was high and lifted up. He had an experience with God that was not a trivial thing because he saw God high and lifted up and he saw something that for them, because he understood that concept, when he saw a train that filled the whole temple, he got excited. 
He said, man, the God I'm serving, he has conquered. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords because I see his train and it has filled the entire temple up. He, I, I wish that he could have imagined and seen the different things that try to take over and rule in our lives. Man, that process of revival, though, it wasn't trivial, but then it was rooted in the holiness of God. Try to imagine and, and see this. You've got these angelic beings. Isaiah gets to kind of step into heaven for a moment, and he sees these angelic beings. There are, they have six wings, and with two of them, they cover their face. They don't even feel like that they are worthy of being able to look on the presence of God. With two of them, they cover their feet. They, I don't even feel like I, I, I should be able to stand in the presence of God. With two, they fly. So they're not standing. They're, they're up. They don't even feel like they should even be on the, you know, on the same ground. You hear people say, you know, man, they worship the ground he walks on. They, didn't, they, would, they wouldn't even say They're flying. But they're calling back and forth. It'd be like if we put one guy down here. If we said, Jason, I want you to go over there. And then if we got, we could get our other Jason. We could have two Jasons. It'd be stereo. We could have one Jason over here. We could have one Jason over here and go, I want you to be calling back and forth while we're doing this church service. We're going to come, we're going to come up here and we're going to sing some songs. And I want one of you to call to the other one. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is it. And then, and then I want you to call back to him. And you're just going to be crying it back and forth. You've got to get this visual of Isaiah stepping into this experience. He steps in. He sees the Lord high and lifted up. I know I'm in the presence of God. God is high. He's exalted. The train of his robe, it's filled the temple. So I realize, I'm, I'm almost overcome by realizing he has overcome all these things. And then I see these angelic beings that they're calling back and forth to each other. Holy, holy, holy. If we don't get a grasp of that God is holy, that God is perfect, that God has no shadow of turning in him, that God has no error in him, that God has no mistakes in him. See, if we don't understand who God is, then we won't understand what God is doing. We just won't. We'll look at our lives and we'll go, well, I don't understand because God surely couldn't be doing this because we don't understand who God is. We have to understand his character. If someone walked up to me, with many of you sitting here today, if somebody walked up to me and said, hey, so-and-so, and just picked one of you guys out and said, man, I saw them the other day, and they were doing this. Now, me knowing your character, I would, I would then tend to say, oh, you must, have, you must have seen somebody else. It must have been somebody that looked like them, it must, because that doesn't fit. I know them. I'm around them. Man, I've worked in a building with them when, when things were difficult, when things were tough. I never saw anything like that. I don't know of anything like that in their, in their history. I, I, why? Because if I feel that I know your character, then I'm not going to be convinced in certain things that you would do, and I'm going to believe that there's certain things that you would do. When we understand the holiness of God, that aspect of who he is. You say, well, well, man, then holiness is about, well, that's about how you dress and that's about how you do. No, it's not. 
I'm sorry. It's just not. I, I absolutely believe that, there's an, that there are some things that you will choose to not do. There are some things that God will lead you to not do or whatever. Uh, he'll convict different people in different ways about things that you don't find in the Bible. If it's not in the Bible, leave it alone. If you're convicted about it, you know, then don't do it. If somebody else is not convicted, then hey, if it's not, if it's not in the Word, let's, let's leave it alone. But His holiness, that's not it. His holiness is about perfection. And so that means that if God is perfect, then it means that what He does in our lives is perfect. Because if He did anything in our lives that included mistake, that included something wrong, that included imperfection, then He would not be perfect. So the fact that he is a holy God, a perfect God, without error, without blemish. Now, does that make it easy to accept everything that God does in our lives? No. No. I think that's the mistake that we make when we try to encourage one another. Is sometimes we go, you just need to remember God's perfect. Man, that does not necessarily make it easy to believe that what has happened in our lives, that, that maybe... Some things are according to God's plan. Some things are according to our own actions and choices that we make and things that we do. But does it make it easy? No. But it means I have somewhere to go back to. It means I have a confidence in God because of His holiness that even when I can't understand, even when I can't grasp it, even when I can't get my brain around it that I can go, but I'm going to rely on the perfection and the holiness of God that what he is going to do will indeed bring about that which is good in my life. The next aspect of revival that we see in Isaiah 6 is that it was manifested by God's presence. So we've got this. I'm going to keep building this mental image. So you got Isaiah that steps in and says, I saw the Lord and he was high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the whole temple. And these, these angels, they were, they were crying back and forth to each other, holy, holy, holy. And then I happened to look, and the, the, the post there where the doors are, they're shaking because of the voice of him who called. Even, even the, the, the temple itself that he was in, because the Bible says it's trained to fill the temple, the, the temple itself was responding to the presence of God. It was responding to the worship of God. Revival gets manifested by God's presence. Things get shaken in our lives when we are revived by God. So well, well, what is it to get shaken? I don't know because I don't know what all is in your life that needs to be shaken. I don't know what all sometimes God is going to see in my life that he says this needs to be shaken. This needs to be, it needs to get shook loose. The next thing that we saw was not only was there a manifestation, but there was divine visitation. Then we see that he says one of these angels flies to him. Now, again, let's build this mental image. You've got Isaiah stepping in. He says, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. These angels are crying back and forth to each other, holy, holy, holy. I look in the doorpost. They're shaking because of the voice, and all of a sudden one of them comes at me. I can't, I can't imagine. I, they're, they're advertising this thing right now. How many of you are Apple iPhone folks? You got an iPhone? Okay. All right. Yeah, I'm with you. I got an iPhone. How many has got Samsung? Got Samsung? Okay. Only you guys will be able to get into this new virtual reality thing that 
You know, they're advertising this whole Samsung thing. If you buy this Samsung phone, then you get this virtual reality thing that you can put on and immerse yourself in an environment. By the way, there's going to be a whole new level of sin that's going to come out of this, but, but I'm just, just telling you. Not saying there's anything wrong with virtual reality, but I'm telling you, there's a whole other thing that's fixing to open up with some of that. They're already, already seeing articles about it's the direction they're trying to go. You can immerse yourself into, man, we don't need any more separation of people. Guys, we don't need families sitting around with virtual reality. It's tough enough to go to the restaurant and watch us all on our phones. Can I get a witness? I mean, send the, that, that commercial, that Lego My Ego commercial that's on TV right now with them kids sitting there, and, and the mom and the parents, and they're going, Lego My Ego, texting each other, and they're sitting looking at each other this close together, and the little kid comes by, doesn't have a phone, just grabs it and starts eating it. I'm going, there you go. Look. Can you imagine you're sitting there, you're, you're seeing God. You're seeing, you're in his presence. You see these angels, these angelic beings, and all of a sudden one of them starts for you. I really truly believe that when we get into God's presence, I really believe that God will get personal. I believe that God will meet with us individually. I believe that God will speak into our lives, not just into the church, not just into the pastor, not just in any of that stuff. I, you have a personal relationship with God, and he wants it to be personal. When we get into God's presence and we begin to be shaken by being in that experience, then I believe that God will visit with us. And what is the result of us having this experience one of the first things that comes out of true revival is humility. Sometimes it almost bothers me when I see a lack of humility surrounding a supposed revival. Because I'm going to tell you, revival is not a corporate event. I, I just Revival's not a corporate event. Everybody's got their own opinion, but I'm the one preaching today, and I'm saying... I don't believe revival is a corporate event. I believe revival is a personal and an independent event. Because, man, we can come in here and we can play some songs. We could bring in a bunch of musicians and we could do some stuff. And that does not, we can put a sign up out, outside. We could advertise it for a month and say, we're going to have revival. That does not mean it happens. Because it is not an event it's not an event that, that you just schedule and go, all right, on, on Monday night, starting at 7 o'clock, we're going to have revival. No, you're not. You can't guarantee that. You're going to have a service. And you're going to have a special speaker. But that does not mean that there's going to be a single person in your church that's going to have revival. But yet you can have no sign. No music, nothing else, and you can go personally get alone in your prayer closet and come before God and experience revival. And out of it comes a sense of humility. And Isaiah, y'all have often heard me say it. It's just, it always, this, this story sticks with me so much. Isaiah went from talking about that he was a, woe is the people and woe are the, is the nation and woe is all of this. When he went through a time of revival, Isaiah stopped he said, woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I see that I am among a people 
of unclean lips. But he didn't say, woe is them, though. He said, woe is me. Woe is me. But personal humility alone is not good enough. There has to come then a transition. There has to come personal transformation. Isaiah, as a result of seeing God high and lifted up, of seeing his, his, his robe and the train up filling the temple, of seeing the angelic beings that were crying, holy, 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 of having one of them fly toward him and him going, oh my goodness, woe is me. I'm undone because I've seen the king. Only you can individually answer this, but I wonder when the last time was that we said to ourselves, my goodness, I have seen God. What would it be like if we were showing up on Sunday morning, somebody says, hey, how'd your week go? And you say, man, you wouldn't believe. I was in my prayer time, my personal worship time. I was reading God's word. And man, I encountered God. I realized, man, we don't, we don't talk and say, woe is me. <laughs> you know, that's not our, sometimes we wouldn't even know how to express it, I think. He said, I encountered God and I realized, man, there's some stuff I need to change in my life. There's some stuff I need God to impact in my life. And then to be able to say, but boy, I, I, I fell down on my face before God. And I felt like he visited me. And I felt like he took, it's almost like Isaiah. Felt like he just took and he burned away those things. My iniquity has been turned. This guy was a prophet. It's not like he needed to get saved. I mean, can, can, we, can we grasp that? We're not talking about somebody that's sitting here going, you know, I got in the presence of God and all of a sudden I said, I need to get saved. This is a guy who was God's chosen person. He was, he was a, if you want to say it, he was the nationwide minister. He's a prophet. He's been speaking the word of the Lord. God has been directly speaking to him and he has been speaking the word of the Lord to the people. But all of a sudden he has to go through revival. Sometimes I think that we have a tendency to exalt ourselves and exalt our own church. We're only a year old, you know, but still. You know, no matter where we've been or whatever, we look and we go, well, you know, we're kind of doing okay. But I tell you what, there's that church down the road. And man, they used to have 100 people. Now they got like 30 people and they're all old. And, and they, got, they need revival, <laughs> you know? Don't we tend to do that kind of stuff? Man, I know a church that needs revival. If I had started this message out saying, do you know a church that needs revival? Most people would be going, oh, yeah, I know two or three of them. Boy, they need revival, you know. But I'm, I'm doing pretty good myself. In fact, that's why I don't go to those two or three churches, right? Because they need revival. I've often said, you know, I've asked you all the question before. And it's to say, when do you eat? When, you, when you're hungry. When do, you, when do you get something to drink? When you're thirsty. Well, surely we don't wait to have revival until we're near about dead. <laughs> or do we? 
right? That church needs revival. Why? Because they're about dead. <laughs> well, maybe we wouldn't need so much revival if we had it before we got to being near about dead. Oh, I need to go on. I'm getting in trouble. I'm getting in trouble. The next thing that happens out of revival is that God, then once you have seen God, once you have experienced God, you have been affected by that you have been visited by God being in his presence. Your, your own life experiences transformation, and so you, sin gets purged. You look and you change some things in your life. I can tell you guys, I, there is none of us, none of us that can sit here and say, man, I got it all down. I'm doing everything the way I ought to be doing it. God is perfectly pleased with everything that I'm doing. I don't have anything in my life that needs to change. Man, if you truly believe that about yourself, I don't know what to tell you. You need revival. That's one. You know, I mean, just because we're not, and I don't, I don't think we're ever in this lifetime going to completely have all those things because we're not perfect. And we're never going to achieve perfection, but yet we are going to do what we're told in Philippians. We're going to press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling. We're going to keep pushing toward the goal. But what happens then when we're transformed and we go through this process where we go, God, there's some stuff I see it needs to change in my life. And God says, don't worry, I'm here to help. That's what the whole coal off the altar thing was. He didn't say, Isaiah, go figure out how to straighten your life out. When Isaiah looked and said, I am a man, whoa, then God says, hey, all right, you're finally to a point where you're willing for me to do something in your life. Because there's a lot of things I believe that God wants to help us change but we're not willing to admit that they need to change yet. Once we reach that point where we say, God, I see, I recognize that something needs to change in my life, and God says, all right, now I can do what I've wanted to do in your life because you're ready to receive. After you're transformed, then God makes this call. See, God doesn't revive us just so you can go, whew, all right. Oftentimes, that's what revival's been turned into. It's been turned into have some good services. Have some good services. Have some better than average worship. Let's fellowship a little better. But then nothing happens after that. Okay, we all feel a little better because we church people. Yeah. I want to do like some of those ministers do where they, turn, they go, turn to somebody and high five them, but I hate that stuff, so I don't do it. You know, turn to your neighbor and smile and tell them they look good today. I don't want people to lie in church. I just, you know, I need to move on. But it's one of those moments where I want, and that's sometimes, we, we got, revival is a, is a time where we can just get a bunch of churches together and, and we have some special music and we have this other stuff and then we all feel better and go, man, wasn't that great? I so enjoyed that other church that came over. Didn't you enjoy their music? It was good. Boy, that one, that guitar player, boy, he teared up, can he? Hey, and that, that other guy that they had, did you see that bass player? Man, he was, he was slapping that thing like it stole something. I mean, just, that's not revival, y'all. That's not revival. Revival's going to end in all of a sudden hearing God say, okay, I have a mission. Who shall I send? Whom shall I send? Who will go? 
Part of the DNA of revival is it has to end with us hearing that God is calling us. Matthew 25, Matthew 28. I will beat those two passages to death as long as I'm alive pastor in this church. Matthew 25, you need, to, you need to, go, to go go and provide water to those that are thirsty. You need to provide food to those that are hungry. You need to provide clothing to those that are naked. You need to reach out to them. They said, when did we ever see you like this? He said, when you've done it unto the least of these, it's as if you've done it unto me. But we like to stop there. We go, ah, see, so if we do good stuff for some people, then we did it like we did it to Jesus. woo High five. We had revival. But then he turns around and says, but also... When you didn't do it unto the least of these, it was as if you said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and he was thirsty. And I said, ain't got time. And he was hungry, and I said, man, I ain't cooking nothing tonight. Right? Are we, uh, well, well, and, 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 but he was in prison. Well, God wouldn't have been in prison. All I know is he said, I was in prison, and you didn't visit me. And they said, when have we ever seen you like it? When the least of these. God wouldn't be in prison. Really? I guess that's why you don't go witness in there, because you don't think that you can take him in, huh? Oh, I'm going to get in trouble today. God wouldn't be in prison. Man, that, where, where does he need to be? Well, he needs to be in you, and you need to show up in there, and you need to say, let me tell you about the hope of glory. Let me tell you about the story of how God can change your life. Well, I mean, I stood in that prison in Uganda, and I'm telling you, I got so fired up. I got so fired up when they, when they separated us out. I had like 70 guys sitting there, and it's hot, and we're out in the sun. You can't take any phones or anything in. I realized after we were in this prison with like 800 guys, I realized I have nothing on me to identify me anymore. I don't have a, I couldn't take my wallet in. I couldn't take my phone in. I'm going, man, I couldn't even, I couldn't even prove who I am right now. And I'm in a prison in Uganda. Woo! <laughs> No phone, no ID, no nothing. But man, I started, and we'd been doing the, you know, we'd been doing the thing you always you do the, go flipping the cube, and you're doing doing the gospel. And I've told you for a minute, it just hit me. And I looked and I had because you talk about that God wants to set you free. And I looked and I said, these walls. We were standing there was a wall right beside us, and there's a big water tank. And I said, these walls don't define your freedom. These walls don't define who is free and who's not free. God being in your heart defines because the Bible says, He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Man, you can be running around out here. You can have money. You can have all of these things. And that makes, hey, let's not lie and pretend like that stuff doesn't make life simple. God knocking on your door because you got to pay some money is a lot more simple if you got cash in your pocket to pay him, Right? But hey, but you can still be bound up. You can be bound up by fear like we were singing about. You can be bound up by expectations that other people have on your life. You can be bound up by your past. You can be bound up by what somebody did to you. You can be bound by what you did to somebody. All of those things can have you bound. But Jesus wants to set you free because he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And so when your life is transformed, when people get saved, when people give their life to Christ, then we should hear the call of God that says, Whom shall I send and who will go? And what happens, people will evangelize as a result of revival. Isaiah 
turned around and he hears the voice of God. He's already a prophet. When I, when I read this story again, I, just, I see the stuff that happens. He's already a prophet who is speaking what God speaks to him. Why would he need to respond to God again and say, hey, I'll go speak for you? He's already speaking for God. There must be something then that he identified, I hadn't really been hearing God the way I ought to hear God. Or maybe when I've been hearing God and it came through the filter of me, the filter was kind of clogged up with a lot of stuff. And what really was coming through wasn't everything that God was trying to send through. So God, I realize that even though I've been going, I hadn't been going the way you want me to go. So when you say now, who will go for me? Who shall we send? Then Isaiah stood up and said, hey, I'm over here, God. Let me go. If revival does not end up in us evangelizing this community, then something's wrong. Michelle and I were talking the other night. Caleb walked in. We stayed up almost 1 o'clock in the morning, Friday night into Saturday morning. We were talking about we were talking about the Sunday night Bible study. We were talking about all this different stuff. And I told her, I said, I said she said, well, you know, we, we've talked about small group stuff for years, and this is what we talked And I said, Yes, but in the last year, I've learned so much differently than what we thought about in other churches and other places and what small groups look like and all this because I said, we haven't thought about. As Jimmy stood here two weeks ago and said, guys, you're doing something unique. You say you're, you're called to this area of Aniston. Don't lose that. Don't become like everybody else. Don't, don't just fall into that mold. And he said, the danger is that's all you know. You've grown up in traditional church and whatever. You're going to have to ask God to guide you. And I said, I've been praying about that. I'm saying, I've, been, I've been thinking through that. And, and it's easy for me to say, well, hey, let's do groups in Alexandria. And let's do groups in, in White Plains. And let's do groups over here and over there. But, but God called us over here. And God called us where that there's Cooper Homes. And there's people that don't have vehicles. And they can't go to Alexandria. And they can't go to White Plains. And they can't go. They're going to foot hoof it over here to come to church. And I said, I'm, I'm, God's having to change and shape my mind because everything that I've thought about some things have always been what was simple for people like me. I could hop in my car and I could go wherever we wanted to meet. I could go do whatever we wanted to do. I could afford to go out to eat after church. I could afford to look at my, hey, everybody want to go out to eat? Not thinking about that. Hey, maybe everybody can't feed a family of five or six or four or three or two. And, and all of these things that I'm having to stop, and, and I'm being transparent with you, I'm telling you right now, God is transforming me because I'm having to, 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 to sit there and go, God, I see that I'm a person who has certain things, and I'm amongst people that generally have those things, but God, you're putting us into a community to reach people that aren't like us, that don't have necessarily the things that we have. Maybe not at this point. Maybe God will bless them down the road. And, and, but God, how are you going to shape me and change me? And I'm, I'm waiting in prayer with God for that visitation as he is taking and changing those thoughts. And I, had to, I told her, I said, I'm, I'm stopping to think through that God is saying, who will reach this part of Aniston? Who will reach out into this community? And I said, even not understanding, I'm, I'm standing up saying, God, here am I. 
Send me. Here is this church. Send us. This scripture we looked at last week, I just want to share it with you again. Acts 3, verses 19 through 21. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Sounds a little bit like Isaiah, but why? That times of refreshing, revival. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Say, stop and repent. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, are you trying to guilt trip it? No, I'm not. I'm telling you that there are times where even I'm coming before God in these last, last two or three weeks where I'm saying, God, I'm just repenting even to the fact that I didn't know some stuff. That a year and a half ago, two years ago, I didn't understand. I had not been exposed to some things. I, I, didn't, I didn't think about ministry in this way. I didn't think about engaging the community this way. And so, God, I repent even though it wasn't me making a choice. I just want to come before you to say, God, I didn't know, but I'm ready. That, that's my form of repentance, God, is, is I didn't know. I wasn't choosing. I wasn't choosing to not do or, or anything else. But, God, I just want you to know that I'm ready to lay it all before you and say, use us. Repent, therefore, turn back, why, that our sins may be blotted out. Because you know what? At times I do have to admit, if I look at this verse, sometimes I do have to admit that the truth is, we go, ah, you know, I don't know that it's all about my sins. Look, we know what the Bible says. Him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is what? Sin. And I've just had to go before God sometimes here in this last month and say, God, even if I didn't really see it this way, I knew that there were some things that I should do. Now, yes, there, you know, I'll drive by the guy that's on the side of the road that's holding up a sign saying that he needs food. And we go, ah, you know, if you stop and give him money, he's probably going to go buy some drugs or he's going to buy some cigarettes. Okay, so stop asking what would he like to eat. Hey, if you need some food, what kind of groceries can I go get you? Oh, I'm meddling. I'm just now, I'm just going ahead and telling you. Him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not. Well, they're going to use the money. Well, okay, then don't give somebody money. What can I do to meet your need? What about that person that you don't really like at work, but then all of a sudden they hit a really bad spot in their life? And you know, let's just be honest, we know that at times I hadn't liked them. They've despitefully used me and abused me. Oh, the Bible says you need to love those that, oh, anyway. Yeah. Pray for those that do despitefully use you. Know, you need to, you need to, oh, uh, mm. do we know that we should reach out to them? Do we know that we should press forward and say, hey, I want you to know I'm going to be praying for you. Now, that person may be looking at you like, like you, you know, a calf looking at a new gate. But, but you're sitting there because I know, I know I've done you wrong. You know what? That's the greatest witness. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. The times of refreshing may come. From the presence of the Lord. We're not going to reach this community, guys. We're not going to reach this community if we don't have revival. And I said we. I didn't say you. I didn't say we're not going to reach this community if we don't have revival. On a personal, individual basis. 
And I'm not telling you that y'all need to go do something because I've already done it. I'm telling you that right now I am in the middle of praying and being before God and asking him to create revival in my life, in my heart. Because I don't want to just sit and not see people come to Christ. I don't want to just sit and not be out sharing the gospel. I don't want to sit and not just be out serving and demonstrating the gospel. But carrying the message of the gospel to the world will never be a priority of a people who have not experienced personal revival. I'll leave you one last quote from Charles Spurgeon who was called the Prince of Preachers. He said, Oh, men and brethren, what would this heart feel if I could but believe that there were some among you who would go home and pray for a revival? Men whose faith is large enough and their love fiery enough mm, to lead them from this moment to exercise unceasing intercessions that God would appear among us and do wondrous things here as in the times of former generations. Oh, men, brothers, sisters of Unity Point, what would this heart feel if I could but believe that there's some among you in here this morning that would go home and unceasingly pray for revival? Let's pray.